got kids, there's an opportunity for you to take them out. There has been something that's prepared, and uh, love you to make use of that opportunity for this morning. Okay, I um, have a particular burden on my heart um, as we begin a series through Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church, and uh, it's a particular burden for this morning, which I'm trusting that um, as we look at chapter 1, this will come through quite strongly. And My burden is this. It's time for us to change the conversation. What I mean by that is this. Almost every conversation you get into now is doom and gloom. I think it's a moment in time for the church to start bringing faith back into the conversation. I don't want us to deny, overlook what is happening. I wouldn't like anybody to be an ostrich and put their head in the sand. But I do believe our conversation needs to be seasoned with salt and with faith and with trust in God. I don't know about you, but I've certainly found myself getting caught up in conversations even with believers that has left me quite disillusioned and quite discouraged. And I've come away after that and asked myself, what in the world went on there? That as a Christian, somebody who has hope and faith in God, that's how it ended up. And I haven't been all that happy with my own response in a situation like that. And so that's, that's kind of the heartbeat of what I want to speak about this morning, but the question is, how do you change the conversation? And I think the only way to change the conversation is we've got to start staying focused on what God is doing. You see, if you are more focused on all of the other stuff, it is natural and normal for the overflow of your conversation and my conversation to be the overflow of what we've been filling our lives and our minds with. And, and, and let's be quite honest and frank this morning, there's tons of messages coming our way at the moment. You can go onto Facebook, you can go onto Instagram, you can go onto News24, wherever you look. You're going to, I mean, reporting has become an art in bad news. But I do want to make an appeal this morning that as Christians and as a church, we start to change the conversation. It's time for that. I am, um, as I was looking at Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church, you'll discover something very interesting once you start to read through 
both first and second Thessalonians. This was a persecuted church. And a persecuted church is a little bit different to what you and I are living in today. We might be living in a time where there's a lot of bad news. This wasn't just about bad news. This is when you're the target of the bad news. Persecution is slightly different. It's when because of your faith in Christ and because you have chosen to be a follower of Jesus, you are being persecuted just for that. And I do think, and if I may say, I think we need to be a lot more prepared for that than what we are as a church at the moment. Not sure that we've got a lot of capacity yet to be resilient enough to, to deal with that. And I think one of the things that's done very adequately and well in the New Testament church as you read the Bible is, is believers were prepared for persecution. They were prepared for opposition. They knew how to deal with it. There was constant encouragement, a constant calling out to the church. But I want to this morning, uh, I want us to focus particularly on um, the persecution that was taking place. And I want you to notice some of the things that Paul lands on, observes, and highlights um, in chapter 1. If we go to the next slide, if we can, I want you to notice this in Acts chapter 17, you will read about Paul's uh, uh, preaching and ministry in the Thessalonian church. And by the way, uh, Thessalonica is uh, in modern-day Greece. It was called Macedonia then. Some of you remember the Macedonian call of Paul? So that's today modern-day Greece. And that city is called Thessaloniki. still got its same name. So you can still go to that city today. Some of you might have even visited there uh, already. What was significant about it, it was situated around one of the major trade routes. And there's always a reason the gospel is preached in cities like that is because as people get saved and they're moving in and out of the city, the gospel spreads in a natural way like that. And so there, there is reason for that. There were a couple of hundred thousand people living in the city um, at that particular point in time. And look at what happens. Uh, and, and Paul gets there and he, uh, the Bible tells us he sort of preaches over three Sabbaths and, and people start to turn to the Lord. And then, uh, of course, we, we discover the opposition that starts to arise and let's look at Acts 17 quickly to just put things into perspective. So it says, some of the, the Jews were persuaded Paul would go into the synagogue. He would begin to preach there and begin to reason. And some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent or influential women. But the Jews were jealous and so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. We know about that in South Africa. And it's not pleasant. So that's, that's kind of what happens. And, uh, and then Paul, as he writes to this church, he's writing to a church that's facing this. He had to flee the city. If you read further in in Acts chapter 17, he has to flee himself because of the intensity of the persecution. But as he begins to write to them, I want you to notice what he focuses on in chapter 1. So let's read that together. Uh, and I think there is, uh, there is a slide with those scriptures on. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. To the church of Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you 
mentioning you in our prayers. And this is what we continually remember before our God and Father. Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He's chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. And so you became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. So the first thing that Paul highlights as he's writing to this persecuted church and, and I want to suggest this morning, if we're going to change the conversation and we start looking and focusing on what God is doing, one of the things we should focus on is the way in which the Spirit of the Lord is moving. Where the Holy Spirit is at work, it is evident. It is obvious. You don't have to kind of guess what's happening. You know the Spirit of God is at work over there. Just this week, I, I received a WhatsApp from, from somebody in the church who tells an amazing story of one of the school teachers in one of our schools uh, who happens to teach a, a class once a week. It is their cultural period, and there is a group of about 35 kids that, in the school that, that, that come there and, and, and are part of his class. Just this week, he led 11 of those children to Christ. Guys, you can't lead people to Christ unless the Holy Spirit's at work. We, we, I think we, as Christians, need to be aware of the fact preaching the gospel is important, being obedient is important, but friends, you need a work of the Spirit for people to turn to God. It's the way that it works. And so Paul, when he writes to this church in, in verse 6, he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Now, you remember that Paul's ministry in Macedonia started with a vision that he had. He was doing ministry in Asia, and in Acts 16, this is the Bible tells us what happened. It says, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia. Remember, Thessalonica was in Macedonia. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready to, at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to him. And friends, that's the point that I want to make. It's what God does through us that's important. And so for Paul, when he goes there, he is going there because he has been alerted to the fact 
that not only does he need to go there, but God is going to work through him when he goes there. If I can put it to you like this, when God begins to speak to us and God begins to lead us in this way, it's not just because of what we need to be doing, it's because of what He's going to do through us when we obey what He's calling us to do. Does that make sense to you? I mean, think of Philip who was, who was in Jerusalem and, <clears throat> and the Lord speaks to him and He said, I want you to go to the Damascus, uh, to the desert road, going to Damascus, and I want you to go and wait there. And you might have said to yourself, but Lord, I'm busy in the church in Jerusalem. Well, I'll go and stand next to a desert road. But he obeys the Lord. And what happens? There's an Ethiopian eunuch who's traveling down that road. And he hears the Ethiopian eunuch reading from Isaiah chapter 53, the scroll of Isaiah. And he asks the guy, goes up to the chariot, and he says, well, do you not understand what you're reading about? He says, I haven't got a clue. And he explains to him about Messiah from Isaiah 53. The man commits him to the Lord, gets baptized because he's been obedient to the leading of the Spirit. You remember Peter. The Apostle Peter is in Joppa, he's on the roof, he's praying. He has this vision of uh, 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 three times over where God says, take and eat. And of course, God is dealing with some of his Jewishness and, and the fact that he doesn't uh, mix with and he's not comfortable to mix with Gentiles and God deals with that and then the Lord says to him by the way and there's some people that are going to arrive at the door and I want you to go with them Peter's never met them before they are Gentiles and he goes with them and he's obedient to the leading of the Lord and guess what happens the spirit of the Lord just falls upon the people as he's beginning to speak to them now this what's quite amazing about Paul going to Thessalonica is the way in which God works, literally within a month, a church is formed. And he has to flee the city, and so he has to write to, to them as a result of that. Um, <clears throat> I thought maybe in the light of what we're talking about here this morning and the way the Spirit works and leads people, we had a, a, in our church in East London a, a, a guy who was a plastic surgeon, very, very brilliant plastic surgeon, and once a year, he used to go and, and uh, go and work on the Mercy Ship. I don't know if any of you have heard of the Mercy Ship. It's like a hospital ship uh, that goes to different places in the world, some of the poorest places in the world. And they, they, they do uh, give medical care to people that can't afford medical care. <clears throat> and once a year, we'd volunteer to go on board the ship. And, and the one year that he went on board the ship, God met with him in such a powerful way that he came back home to his land and he sold his practice. He had a beautiful home on the river, sold it all up, took the proceeds, bought a, uh, uh, some premises in Amsterdam so that a Christian ministry could be launched uh, to the sex workers in the red light district of Amsterdam and then continued to go out and spend time on the mercy ship. He's still doing it today because God spoke to him and said, I want you to go and serve me in that way. That's what he's doing. Just had this encounter with God. Some of those things you can't even explain, but, but that, that's what is happening. We know, brothers loved by God, that He's chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Paul was saying, preaching is important. Obedience is important, but so is the power of God, the move of the Spirit, and deep conviction. It's not something you can explain. 
It's something that God does because He chooses to work there. And isn't it interesting, even though there was intense persecution, the church is thriving. People are coming to faith in Jesus. People are turning from idolatry to serve the Lord and modeling their lives on the way that Jesus lived. I was reminded of, of uh, one of the young men in our own church. And uh, he, some of you may know him, Stuart, but when he, when he was at school, he was at high school, he got hooked on, on heavy drugs. And, uh, and, and when that was discovered and when his parents discovered that, they, they came to speak to us and he came to chat to us. And I remember we spent time praying with him. We spent time counseling him. We spent time ministering to him. And he went back and going to make a fresh start and, and very sincere about it. And maybe a month, six weeks later, back onto the drugs. And so the process repeated itself over and over again. And I remember one time uh, we were at a conference and a team of us actually went to go and speak to him. He was in a rehab um, in the northern suburbs, and we went to go and pray with him and speak to him. And uh, I remember asking him, I said, Stuart, how, how, what's the longest you've ever been able to go without drugs? He said, John, like at the three-month mark, it said, something just trips in me, and that's it. I'm a goner. And then one day, the Holy Spirit got hold of him. And when the Holy Spirit got over him, the power that had over him was broken. For the first time, he didn't repeat the pattern. He didn't go back on the drugs again. He was delivered. He was released. He was set free. And it was such a powerful thing in his life that he started ministering to other teenagers who were in the same space that he had been in. And I just want to praise God because when there's a work of the Spirit, you know there's a work of the Spirit. And friends, I'm sharing this with you for two reasons. One, I think we need to keep praying for a work of the Spirit. But secondly, let's be focused on what the Holy Spirit is doing. Because when we talk about changing our conversation, our conversation is changed because we become aware of what God is doing by His power and by His Spirit. That's one of the things. But another thing that Paul highlights, and and if we're going to change the conversation, it's also another thing to be aware of. It's the way in which people are changing. It's the way in which people's lives are, are changing. People, Paul, when he, when he writes to his church, he's aware of a church where people are full of faith. He, he's writing to a church where people are serving the Lord. People are full of hope. People are worshiping God rather than idols. I don't know if you realize how powerful a thing that is. Think of people who, who worship the idols of the 21st century, changing, turning away from, from things like pleasure and materialism and apathy and all of those kind of things and saying, we putting that behind us. We want to worship God. That, that's what was happening in this church. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. Your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if this strikes you as a bit of a contradiction. Although things were tough for these believers, 
There was evidence of faith and hope and love and people modeling their lives on the life of Jesus. You became a model to all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Friends, this is what I call spirit-filled living. The only explanation for people who are being persecuted that are full of faith and are full of hope and are full of love, who are modeling their lives on Jesus, who are turning from idol worship to worship the Lord, is the Spirit of the Lord is changing them. But, but here's the important thing. You don't need to be persecuted to live a spirit-filled life. Spirit-filled living is for everybody. When, when God comes to change life, that's for all of us. Living by the Spirit enables all of us to be like that. It's the way that we are meant to live. Galatians, when Paul's writing to the Galatian church, he said, live by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Now, let me just add to that. Now, I just have a sense to say that. For any of you... This is not an instantaneous thing. This is a process that takes place. You know, if, if, you, if you're struggling with something and working through something and you're saying, God, I, I want to live by the Spirit so I can leave this behind, you start praying and you keep praying. And you keep trusting God until you change because that's what He is going to do. It's a process that takes place. And I share that with you because I'm one of those kind of instant, I'd like to pray today and tomorrow, it's different. Are you, I don't know if anybody else is like me. And I've learned over the years that there is a process, we call it being sanctified. He is at work within you both to will and to act. That's what God does. That's why Paul encourages believers, excuse me for, there's a word missing, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I believe people are tired of being religious. People are hungry for a work of the Holy Spirit. People have had enough of the idolatry of the 21st century. There is a longing for a vibrancy in our relationship with God. And may I say to you, if you are a believer today, Paul uses these words, God has chosen you. If God sovereignly has chosen you, God has called you to be one of His children, God has moved in your life, it is for one reason only, it's so that you could participate in the inheritance that is there for you in Christ. When Paul was writing to the Ephesian church, he said, you've been blessed with every blessing in the heavenly realms. Friends, you didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve that. That's God's gift to us in Christ. God didn't choose us so that we would just be as downcast before as afterwards, afterwards as before. He chosen us so that our lives might be enriched in Jesus. third thing that Paul highlights as he writes to these believers is, is, is the incredible way in which the gospel was spreading. <clears throat> and one of the extraordinary things, you know this, 
But one of the extraordinary things about Christians who have a vibrant relationship with Jesus, you can't keep them quiet. Have you discovered that, Shayla? Is that true? Have you ever discovered, if you get, if you get come into the presence of somebody where God is powerfully at work, I want to tell you something. You can try and keep them quiet. You're not going to get it right. You can't stop people like this ministering to other people because there is something in them that needs to get out. They can't stop talking about what's happening in the church. They can't stop talking about what God is doing. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. And you know, the gospel spread because people like Paul did an incredible work of pioneering and preaching to unreached people. But at the same time, when the Lord is at work in the church, where people are coming to Christ, turning away from idols to worship the Lord, the word gets out. That's what I love about the, the reading when I love reading about the New Testament church. You read it in, in Acts chapter 5. And what God was doing, even though uh, there'd been some hard stuff like Ananias and Sapphira, was quite a hard moment in the church because they died. And yet, people were talking about the church. People were bringing their sick to the church. People were bringing demon-possessed to the church. People were still joining the church because God was doing something amazing. And people desire that. People couldn't keep it to themselves. These persecuted believers were not depressed and discouraged about their faith. Their relationship with the Lord remained vibrant, even though they were being persecuted. And I say that to you this morning, all of this this morning, because I think there's some bad things happening around us. But I do think we are people of good news. And nobody else is going to change the flavor and the conversation except the church. Now, something happens in the church when people start to focus on what God is doing. When people believe in the work of the Spirit and they start trusting in what the power of God can do, there is a change that begins to take place. I'll tell you some of those changes because it's evident in the Thessalonian church. People start getting full of faith. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody where, where God's just been at work and they, they're talking about what the Lord is doing? You're just like, there's a stirring in your heart. It's like there's an alertness to God again. It's kind of a freedom for you. There's kind of an excitement. Sometimes you say, wow, God, this is amazing. I just desire more of that for me. And you see, it starts amongst us. And it starts with our conversation among one another. And what we are trusting God for and what we are seeing God do at work amongst us. And you know, every single person here, including me, has a choice. 
You have a choice and I have a choice every day that we get up. What are you going to focus on? You have that choice. We have a choice as to what we're going to talk about. I mean, I, the Lord's really like rebuked me about some of this stuff. My wife, as you know, is quite passionate about the whole health thing. And she's excited about the NHR, and I nearly fell off my chair when she started speaking about it. Because I was quite negative about it. But, but I am aware of the fact that there's got to be a place where my, I can't just look at circumstances and people. I've got to start saying, Lord, what are you doing at the moment? We've got to be alert to the way that we respond. There's a lot of negative sentiment out in the world at the moment. And I don't think we even are even aware of how much there is. But may I say, we are people who have to bring good news. And we need to know what that good news is. We need to be people who say we believe in the power of God. We need to be people who live by the Spirit. And all I want to ask you this morning, let's stay focused on the good news. Let's be intentional about the work of the Spirit. Let's be full of, of faith and hope and love in a time when it really counts. Do you know why there is persecution against the church? Because the devil wants to close down what God's doing. Only reason. He wants to stop it in its tracks. And as a church right now, we cannot and we must not be distracted from our mission right now. And there's stuff that will do that. Our mission is to preach the good news of the kingdom. We need to go and heal the sick. <clears throat> we need to pray for the lepers, those who have got those diseases that nobody wants to touch. And however that happens for you, that might be you praying for a miracle, or it might be like that plastic surgeon who's serving on the mercy ship. But I want to tell you, healing is happening. I think we need to be agents of reconciliation in a divided country. Paul said we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. Do you know where reconciliation starts? With the way you speak. More damage and division has happened because of the way people speak to each other. And we've been called to be agents of reconciliation. It's part of our ministry and mission at the moment. Modeling our lives on the life of Jesus 
speaks volumes. Why I like to model my life and why we want to model our lives on Jesus, because Jesus got it right perfectly. What a great model to model your life on. The Son of God. And then you've heard this phrase before, but let me finish with it. I think we need to be making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You see, the church cannot exist because of one or two people. The church must exist because every one of us are doing it. So let's change the conversation. And the only way to do it, or should I say, not the only way to do it, the place to start is to focus on what God is doing again. Be intentional. But can we bring a new flavor to the conversations? Can we bring a new perspective to conversations? Can we be salt and light in those conversations? Can people, when they've been with us, be aware there was something different about that person because we plugged into the one source of life that changes everybody, the Lord. Amen. So I want to just pray for us, if I may. And then, uh, Alan, maybe the team can lead us in a song to close. <clears throat> And uh, I don't know about you, but I've certainly had to examine my heart. I mean, preparing a message like that, I don't fi- like this, I don't find very easy because you have to examine your own heart. It's no good preaching to people without looking at your own life and your own heart. And friends, I think it's time to take a stand against the enemy in this stuff. And I. I I almost feel the enemy's got into manipulating us sometimes. And, uh, and we need to resist it. We need to stand firm against this stuff. And we are, we are the church. And there are times when it ain't going to be easy. Jesus said in this world you'll have tribulation, but thank the Lord he overcame the world. But, but he does call us to take a stand. It does call us to be salt and light, to change the flavor of what is going on around us. I just want to invite you, maybe, if, if you've got caught up in that, just repent of that this morning. 